The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy inspires leaders to grow their companies from startup to 40 million and beyond by designing world-class strategic plans and keeping them accountable to get it done. To learn more, go to 40strategy.com. Before I introduce our guest, Nick Cramp, we'd like to do a little shout out to Cascade Strategy. That's how Nick and I met. Actually, we were, we were working with him as being one of our distributors on a global basis. And, and anyway, just want to thank Tom Wright to helping all that experience and our connection to actually happen. So thank you, Tom, who is the one of the founders of, of, of Cascade Strategy. And we're going to move on to talk about Nick now. Nick has 30 years of business experience, first as an owner and later as a coach which has provided him a wealth of knowledge on how to approach the challenges and reap the rewards of day-to-day work. Alongside the theoretical knowledge gained from his uh, NBA, Nick also has created a unique brand of thought, which encourages business leaders to not only consider the exciting opportunities available, but also provides them with a practical structure to actually achieve them. In May of last year, Nick released his book, Better Before Bigger, Rethinking Business Success which hopes to share some of these insights. He also runs a course in parallel with his content and offers a variety of support for ambitious business leaders. And it's a great, great piece of work that he has. And he's excited to have you on the show, Nick. So good to see you again from England. And welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. Thanks, Carl. It's great to speak again. We're looking forward to this. So Nick, tell us a little bit more about your current business and, and more depth behind what you really do today. Sure. So my current business is a coaching consultancy. I work with leaders and leadership teams, primarily of companies at the adolescent stage. Now, by adolescence, I mean they've gone through a growth phase. So they've been around for a number of years, but they've not yet achieved maturity. They've not yet got to that lovely stage where they've got all autonomous company they've got a slightly erratic business that is very owner founder leader dependent so that's my sweet spot is working with those companies and trying to challenge cajole coach them to get to a better place where they've got a more systematic structured business and it, what's fascinating about this part of the business, right? Because there, there is that hard part of what you said, which is people figuring out what you do, right? You know, so there's this like beginning, beginning, beginning stage of like trying to actually create a product or service and sell it. But then it, then it happens, right? And there's this, this, this 
I love it how it's adolescence, right? Where it's this development of a business that's in its early stages, but it's really owner driven, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, even though they might have employees, they're driving nearly all the daily activities, but certain things happen when that takes place. So, so now everyone who's part of this knows this, but Nick, what are the, the, the signs? What are the typical things you see in people who are in this adolescent stage of business? I think one of the early signs is that you can't find time to speak to them. <laughs> I know that if they're difficult to schedule time with, they're probably in that adolescent stage where they're back-to-back -back meetings and they're running lots of operational-style meetings. They're still trying to bring customers on board and they're too involved in every aspect of the business. So I think that typical overwhelm is one of the signs. I think also there's a degree of frustration. I think what they signed up for or what they thought they were getting was the fact that if they did three, four, five years of hard yards, they would be in a better place where they had weekends for themselves. They could take family holidays without taking the laptop. So there's this really contradictory situation they find themselves in where they're successful by external measure and external metrics, but they don't actually yet feel successful because they feel everything is too dependent on them. Yep, yep. So I think is one of the, it, it's, this is a challenge I, we, you and I both see on a regular basis, right? Yeah. We see this, this belief, or in, in many cases true, right? Where they are at truly dependent or at least feel dependent on nearly all things that are going on. What, are, what is one of the first things that you do to help give these owners the first step? Like what's a great first step to pulling away and becoming more of a shareholder rather than just a full and bred manager, right? Really, because that's what they are. They're an owner manager, right? You know, and so you're trying to begin them to be working more on the business versus in the business. So how do you yeah. help them see that it's possible? I, I think the first thing to do, Carl, is to sit down with them and help them articulate what they really want to do in the future and what their ideal role is. I think they're trapped in this all-consuming role in the centre of the business where because they're not sure what they're going to move to, they don't move. And I think that once they can articulate and work with you on where ideally they need to sit, so do they need to be the front person? Is that their real skill set of being the brand ambassador? Mm -hmm. Are they really the financial mastermind that's really great with the numbers and the juggling of the business model? Or are they really a people's person that just wants to be, you know, and trying to find the ideal role for them so that they can let go knowing there's something better? I think the difficulty of letting go is twofold. First of all, if we let go of this, then what am I going to do instead? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and secondly, if I let go, will someone catch it? Mm -hmm. And they're kind of related challenges. But I think the first one is getting them clear on what the role is they want to be doing. Yeah, that's great. I, and nothing's more important than a vision. So then you could actually start developing strategies, right? To go from A to B. And, and so let, let's just say, for example, let's use a hypothetical, or maybe you could use something from an existing, well, how about this? Why, why you, yeah. please don't name names, right? Sure. But give an example of, of somebody you have worked with 
and and you helped identify where they wanted to go, right? Yeah. And maybe describe in general what that was. Figure out that, and then and then what are some like? And once again, you don't need to detail more generic. What were some some strategies that you did to help them let go? So I work with a number of professional service companies, and I think one of the dangers or one of the challenges in those companies is the founder is also one of the biggest billers. Mm-hmm. So they do a lot of client work, and that's what they built the business around, is their ability to deliver the product yep. and to deliver the service. Mm-hmm. So letting getting them to let go of the billable work and appreciate that it's okay if they're not actually billing any time, that mm-hmm. they got other work they can be doing, which will add value across the business, is something I come across quite a lot, where the key for them is to reduce the billable hours to the stage where they're doing none. So they've actually made that transition from being one of the operational deliverable people to a strategic person and to do that we have to map out the income stream over the next 18 months that allow them to feel comfortable and confident with that transition so for some people it's very much a financial exercise of showing that if they bought say an operational person in to run the operation of the business you know how much would they need to improve the billable hours or the deliverables in order to pay for that person? So they're not against bringing other people in, but they haven't maybe spent the time to work out how they can afford it and where that person will actually sit and how they're going to measure it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's working on those kind of areas where you're setting a date at which point that person will move position and you're making that very transparent and very overt so that everyone in the company knows that's happening. And then it's more likely to stick because they've made more of a public announcement around it rather than just a conversation between me and them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love how you, you've gone through that part because especially in service businesses, there tends to be this eat what you kill. Yeah. Kind of mentality. Right. And, and so when you're the hunter, right. And, and you're delivering to literally put food on your table, to pay for your mortgage, to help provide for your family, the thought of giving it up is very scary. Right. So, so when you go down, when, when you're working once again with these service-based owners, right. And, and they're, and they're, and they're thinking this part, what's the biggest trap that ends up they end up going they go back they revert back right to to their old ways because it's just so ingrained in how they formed a business the first place the 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 blind spot or the the mindset that needs to shift is that others can do deliver the service at the level required by the client it might be slightly less than what they can deliver themselves, Mm. but it's still good enough and it's scalable. Mm -hmm. So it's that compromise slightly. Yeah. And it's the trust in the team and it's transferring their role from being the deliverer to the coach, trainer, 
quality assessor mm-hmm. to make sure that the client is not negatively impacted because that's their concern is that if I'm not doing it, is the client going to be happy enough? Are we still going to have the same reputation? So I think by working on that side of it and making sure that they've got ways of monitoring and measuring the quality when other people are delivering, it helps them sleep at night and it helps them accept this different way of working. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So then they could actually sleep at night, right? Because that's the weird part, right? There's this really weird thing of they're, they're in their business, they're not sleeping, they're working weekends, they're not taking vacations because they're doing everything. Yeah. And then they let go and they're not sleeping because they're not sure if, if the person's yeah. delivering the work, right? So, yeah. so then how do you feel, how do you help? I see this too many times, right? Where a successful yeah. business owner achieve something, but then they have this sense of emptiness, right? The sense of void. So how do you fill that void where they feel like they're still achieving, but just once again, in a different type of role? I think the key is to get them to understand how leadership needs to evolve. So I think when we start with our businesses, we need to be a very upfront leader and lead from the front. We're like a First World War general. We need to go over the top with our troops. Mm. And that's the sense with the startup that kind of follow me, guys. We can do this. And it's very much that. And the evolution needs to be moving to a servant leader. Mm. Rather than leading from the front, they're leading from the middle or even from the behind. Mm-hmm. And they're comfortable in that evolved role of leadership where their first job each day is to ask their team what do you need from me hmm. and if they don't need anything then that's great <laughs> I think accepting that there's different types of leadership needed at different straight stages of organizational development mm-hmm. is key to this and it's that mindset shift we were talking about before the call of working on the mindset as much as anything else yeah yeah to make sure they understand that this is a a journey that most leaders go through and they've got to get their adrenaline kick from a different way yes and different ways from seeing other people succeed rather than directly succeeding so i think that's the key and, th- and there's these other benefits too often when people finally come to us or people that we know to, for help, it's because they've hit a crisis, right? Their, their spouse is about to leave them. Their kids don't, they don't know their kids. They, they are having health issues. There is something really going wrong. And then yeah. maybe in some cases, the business is even failing because they're, they're, they can't grow, right? Because they're like stuck at things, they're stuck in their ways. And, and so we work, you know, they're coming out of this like sense of urgency. Have have you gone? And I I have, but I'm just curious. I know you have, but tell me about when you've met with the business owner after the success point. Yeah. You know, and, and what is that? Have you had that phone call where they're finally in their vacation spot and they're significant others finally happy and they know certain other kids? What is that like? You know, because I think that's such an important part of that vision. 
It is. And, it, and what you get from that person that's gone through that transition is almost that enthusiastic startup person, the entrepreneur they were five years ago. Mm. Yes. They, 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 they've lost a lot of the worries and therefore they're reju rejuvenated. Mm -hmm. The fact that they come back from the holiday and say, Nick, for the first time, I didn't open my laptop. I had two text messages in two weeks and that was it. Mm -hmm. And that's a completely different leader than the one I worked with 18 months ago that wouldn't even acknowledge they were on holiday. Yeah. They would just work in a different location, and that was almost a badge of honor. Yes, know, yes. I'm, I'm so dictate. You know, I'm so good. I work at weekends. That's right. You know that that was this reverse psychology. We end up in this very weird space, don't we? Where it's almost like a badge of honor. That's right. That's right. Rather than actually appreciating that the business needs to serve them, not them serving the business. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 once again, I love that. Once again, that vision change and, and what, when, what's exciting, right. Is once you get out of the, I, I I'm, I'm going to go back to that vision you did of the world war one going over the top. I mean, what you're also showing and sharing is most of those guys got gunned down by machine guns. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. You know, world war one was just one of the, most hideous wars of, yeah. of, of modern history, right? You know, of just, but that analogy is just so true that that there's this belief you're leading and carrying over the top and you got gunned down. You, yeah. you, you failed, right? Despite your courage. And probably because of your courage. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But it was foolish courage, ironically, yeah. right? It was not... It was not a cur that was once again talk about the least strategic war in history, right? You know, we can yeah. say in so many ways there was no strategy. I mean, it was just uh, old tactics with modern armament, arm armament, right? And thinking we could just still do the same thing. So let's go to your book. You know, with with better before bigger. You know, three thinking business success. What what is some of the how? Well, let me. What has been some of the biggest insights you have had from as being an author? right that that kind of surprised you going through the process and delivering it I, I suppose when i started writing the book i wasn't really clear how templatable this was mm. and how there was these six core components which really stood out for me as being the key to the transition from adolescence to maturity I, I spent a lot of time when I was writing the book thinking and studying companies that had achieved maturity and achieved kind of continual success and those that were aspirational towards it. And what I did was identify what was different between the two mm -hmm. so that in the book I can help people on that journey because I can articulate firstly what their current world feels like Mm -hmm. So I can build the empathy and I can kind of appreciate where they're at because I've been there myself as well as yes. seeing up there. Yep. As importantly, I can give them a real clarity on what the future could look like mm -hmm. and what the steps are to get to that future. So for all of us to make a change, and this is a significant change I'm asking them to make. Mm -hmm. I don't underestimate the level of change I'm asking them to do here. Mm -hmm. 
to do that significant change, we've got to be emotionally bought into it, but also we've got to intellectually buy into it. And I think that's what I've tried to do in the book is that create that emotional picture, which is probably the easier bit. Mm -hmm. And also intellectually just talk about the practical steps they need to take day in, day out to make this transition. And I think that what came clear to me while I started writing the book is that this is very much a manual. Mm. Some of my favorite business books are much more story orientated Mm. where analogy kind of story, which aligns people. I think that's great. If you can write that, I just can't write that. Mm -hmm. But mine's a more practical, you know, here's three ways to bring more accountability in play. Yeah. Yeah. It's much more of a manual than it is a kind of narrative. Yep. So let's talk briefly, just for the sake of time, give a quick synopsis of these six stages. So the six components, the first one, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. The first one is inspirational leadership. Job number one is to inspire others. And to do that, they need to understand where they're heading themselves. And that might be different to where they initially started out. So getting really clear on that. Number two is something you're passionate about, and that is strategic clarification. So right now, they've got a business which maybe doesn't make sense from the outside looking in. It's got some competing elements, and it's probably got a little bit bloated in the middle, and it's got lots of different objectives. Mm -hmm. It needs simplifying. Yep, yep. Thirdly, it needs to have stakeholder reciprocation. So Mm -hmm. it needs to understand who the ideal stakeholders are in each of the key areas. And they may be different from the previous one. Mm -hmm. The idea of being able to offboard stakeholders that no longer fit is a really interesting concept and a challenging one for people to take on board. Yes, yes. We then come across numerical extrapolation. So making sure they understand what the key metrics are for their business. And again, a lot of the time they're different to the headline numbers which they're running the business by currently. Mm -hmm. Reputational maximization is number five. So what are you actually famous for and how do you maximize that so you haven't got to spend a whole lot on sales and marketing because you're really known for certain things and people come to you? Mm -hmm. And the last one is operational optimization. So how do you plug everything together in the center of the business? So there's one piece of software, one database, you know, how do you make it as efficient as possible so that it can scale and so that people can find the information they need to find without having to come to find the founder first? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, I know. I love, I like, I like those stages and I like how there's this clarity once again, between this, this vision of becoming from adolescence to maturity. And, and then here's these sticks. And, and I, I agree with what you share. Those are excellent thoughts because you have, you know, leadership, of course, you're going to figure out how to get there, who needs to be involved, right? You get the people side and then you get into numbers, right? You're going to measure it, figure out what yeah. the measures are. Cause those are often different. And, and often it's not just about how much money you're taking home. It's about like how you're getting to there, right? And the leading yeah. indicators. 
And then, and then you have basically this reputation and operation, which is about, is about systematizing, right? You know, at the end of the day, you know, what's happening and taking place. And I think that's there's brilliant stages and steps behind it. Of those six, hmm. where do you, where do people get stuck on the most? I think they get stuck probably on the numbers and the data. Mm. I think that for a lot of leaders, that's the most challenging relationship mm -hmm. is with the data and the numbers. And I think it's very difficult because as the business grows, the amount of data grows exponentially. Mm -hmm. yep. And you can get drowned by the data and actually not understand what's in front of you because there's actually too much data unless you've got a very good accountant and a good CFO they can just give you too much and I think that what I'm doing all the time with leaders is trying to strip back and say okay well how small can the financial report actually be yeah. you know how can we get this down onto one page I know it's easy to create a 12 page report mm -hmm. you know <laughs> all the software systems will do that for you yes but because they send you 12 pages, it doesn't actually help. It's not 12 times as good. That's it's right. the opposite. That's right. So I think the most of the work I do, or the most valuable work is around that data. And by data, I mean, obviously, the non-financial data, like your NPS scores, satisfaction ratings, operational efficiency. So trying to help them with a really clear dashboard, because... As you know, the clarity of dashboards means people can sleep at night. Yeah. If you've right. got a dashboard, you've got somewhere to go and say, does this look okay? <laughs> you know, right. is there any red lights flashing here? If there's not, then good. Yeah. I can get on with some work. That's right. And 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 what you didn't mention, but I assume is going to be in there is having a certain amount of cash in the bank, right? Really? You know, it's interesting. I don't know about your experience. I don't know many entrepreneurs and owners who are great with numbers, financial statement numbers, right? They're, they 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 created their business because of their, whatever it is, right? But they yeah. generally, they were they didn't grow up with an accounting, even though they might have a basic understanding behind it. Yeah. But they all know their checkbook. They, they all know what's in their bank account. And that's how they've managed their business regularly and getting them to see, once again, different numbers, right? Yeah. You know, to really understanding how you can make more money right? Or have the right amount of money in the bank account so they can truly sleep at night, even under downturn conditions. And, and it's interesting with the bank account, isn't it? Because they have, as you say, a very binary relationship with the cash. And if the bank account's okay, I'm okay. Yes, yes. But it, as we both know, it's far too simplistic and it's not that straightforward. No, no. It is moving. It's moving. You know, you're yeah. growing business, you know, you, that number has to change, you know, when you're moving forward. And, and, sometimes our old thinking of, oh, I have a certain amount of money in the past was good. You add five more people. Yeah. All of a sudden, that, you, number, you, that number needs to change. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's not always remember because we're still thinking of the past right behind, oh, I should have enough money. And and, and it, it changes the ballgame. And it can um, also work the other way that sometimes they've got perversely too much money in the bank account and they're not actually doing anything with it. And, yes. and, and it's like kind of like, so what's this money doing for you? It's my safety net. And it's like, okay, how big a safety net do you actually need? And what's the safety net for? You know, it's, as you say, it's a really interesting relationship with money, isn't it? It is, Nick. And, and boy, we can go off for another 
probably three hours about just this topic alone. But but what is interesting is how there's rarely clarity about what to do with that excess and then realizing they can actually create even more excess, but learning how to distribute it properly. Yeah. Right. When appropriate, you yeah. mean, and give it to the shareholder, right. As distributions or something of that nature, dividends. And then the other side behind it is to when to invest. And, and the part that I love is that I don't think people think properly enough about when there's downturns. Yeah. Is the time to take advantage of that cash, the excess cash, or the the invested, the prepared cash to pick up equipment that's cheap, right? Pick up a lease that's cheap to yeah. find ways to maximize that that cash investment because of the six steps that they've already done. Yes, right. It it creates a whole different game, and I love it how you're saying sometimes there's too much cash we put in there that's not helping us. Where it's actually you can make an argument you're losing money as a result of it not properly yeah. reinvesting it either in your company or something else. And, and I think it's one of the really crucial appointments they make at some stage during adolescence is to bring a financial person in that knows more than them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and has got miles on the clock to be able to give them this different thought piece and challenge their thinking in a healthy way. And yes. I think that that's what's needed to bring this better understanding in play is like a pilot's got a first engineer who's got a really clinical understanding of the you know the state of the dashboards and the numbers that helps the pilot fly the plane better yes yes and i think bringing the cfo in or at least some kind of financial person that's got that better understanding is a crucial part of the adolescent to maturity transformation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I, I think so, Nick, this has been fantastic. I want to talk about, ask you, how do you met in your business as, yeah. as yourself as a consultant? How do you measure success in your business? I measure it in different kind of depths, if you like, in a simplistic way. It's client retention. Mm -hmm. you know? Do they invite me back next month? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so fair the, the longevity of working with clients yeah. is one of the key things for me mm -hmm. and it's something I'm very proud of that I do have long you know relationships with clients during this phase and during this period mm -hmm. so I think that's a key one mm -hmm. I think the amount of referrals and recommendations is also a key one because that for me is a measurement of the the value and quality I give yeah that they would refer others to me from that point of view. Mm -hmm. And then it's simplistically the customer lifetime value. Mm -hmm. So the overall value from each client in terms of the additional services, additional workshops I run for them or the existing additional coaching. So the size of the relationship, I'm very much in the stage now where I choose who I work with because I feel that we are a good fit. Mm. Mm -hmm. Back when I was starting out, I wrongly thought I was the solution to every coaching problem. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was the best fit for every client. Right, right. And with a few more years on the clock, you now realize that's obviously not the case. Yeah. And it's far better to onboard a little bit slower, but to find the right clients that you are a good fit for 
mm-hmm. so that you can have a very kind of mutually beneficial relationship. Yep. Yep. No, I think it's brilliant. And, 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 and learning to have the right partners or people you can refer to, right. When you, when you can't, right. Having that wisdom to go, you know, this sounds amazing, but this is, here's who you should talk with, right. You know, <laughs> consider, you know, in this particular problem or opportunity that they have. So before we got on today, you were mentioning you just got back from a lovely holiday, two and a half weeks sitting in, and you were in France and where else were you at? France and Italy. France and Italy. So that must've been lovely. And what was interesting, you said that was a bit of a byproduct of your own success, if you may, right? That, that, that you, that was, that you were able to get more energy, you know, actually relax and and not check your work and email and things that are happening and taking place. So in a way you're kind of walking your own talk, right? When you, when you're talking about doing this. So let's, Talk about your habits. What habits yeah. have you learned to do to be your best in, in both business and on a personal personal side? So I think that the thing that I've learned over particularly the last two or three years is achieving a balance between physical training. So I'm a triathlete. I do some yoga. So it's really important to me each day that my body moves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I get older, it's even more important that I physically move each day and make sure that everything's working okay. Yeah. So I find that running's great for energizing me. Yoga's great for a bit of clarity. So I try and build that in the start of my day. I also realize I need to learn and I need to learn daily. So spending time reading, listening, so that I can challenge my own thinking, but I can also then use that to challenge clients. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to reinvent the wheel because there's lots of other clever people out there with great advice and ideas. And, you know, I've got no problem sharing other people's knowledge, whether it's on LinkedIn or whatever, rather than writing stuff myself. That's right. My, my purpose is to add value to others. Mm-hmm. And if I can do that via recommending something, that works as well so I think just dividing my day between physical training learning and then what I call earning so the client facing time Mm -hmm. and making sure that my diary both on a weekly but also on a quarterly basis has enough balance of each yes right so that I'm not overworking because I know that the quality of the work is as important as the quantity Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the learning for me, Carl. Yeah. And, and, and for our U.S. listeners, if you haven't been across the pond, a diary refers to his calendar is what he's referring to there and how, how he goes forward with that. No, that totally makes sense. And I, and I really love your, your thoughtful parts behind how you've broken up your day and your week on a regular basis. I love how you said you built it, you build it into your day, your start of your day. You know, to make sure you're because it's so easy for all of us to the day goes on. Next thing you know, it gets busy and yeah. we don't get to that run or we don't get to that yoga appointment, or whatever, you know, whatever it is that we're doing to yeah. help keep ourselves at full optimum achievement. Right. And it feel good. Right. You know, so we can actually perform and make money. Right. Because because you probably feel better being able to do those things to actually do your work where people are paying you to do. But it's based on you actually b- making sure yourself is filled 
you know, beforehand. It's like filling your tank, so to speak, in your, your vehicle each day or charging up your vehicle if you have an electric vehicle. <laughs> yeah, but it's the the oxygen mask, mask on plane analogy, isn't it? You've yes. got to put your own mask on first because you can't help others if you can't if you can't breathe yourself that's right that's right yeah and 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 good for you for still doing triathlons that that swimming part scares me at the triathlon (laughs) i'm I'm now running a fair amount but the the swimming just scares me half to death i i was fortunate that i was thrown to a pool metaphorically very early in life so the swimming is the bit i love oh that's good so that's enjoyable yeah Okay, so, and then how do you measure success in your personal life? Personal life is taking holidays. I think that, I can't remember who told me, but somebody wiser than me told me, you start your year by scheduling your holidays. Mm. And you get the amount of time that you want to take out of your business penned in before you put your client work in. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're getting your priorities the wrong way around. Mm-hmm. So... The regularity of holidays with my partner and with my grandchildren is really important. And that's a success criteria for me. My performance in events and stuff like that's a success criteria. So what I do outside of work is also a really important criteria that I've got, you know, events I do regularly with others. And that's really important to me as well. So I try and work the balance between those three that I've got lots of work metrics and success, mm-hmm. but also I need to achieve those other things outside. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's great. No, thank you. Thanks for, for sharing that. And, and I could see how successful have been based on once again, all these other activities, right? Cause it's not luck. Nick, as you know, we don't, we don't get to your level of success of being able to serve and be able to do things without, learning without working hard without you know working on your body right you know to to make yeah. sure you can deliver all of that and and i hate to use the term balance because i think balance is always the wrong term but you've you're putting a right amount of time in the important things so you yeah. you can run effectively yeah and and, and I, I think i appreciate what you're saying about balance but it is about kind of the amount in each in each area isn't it and that may change at different times of the year and different points in the week even that's right that's right yeah a little side note related to that there there's when i love it how you say that sometimes during the week in the areas because let's say there's a holiday coming up right a major holiday for forever and and sometimes organizations and people they're like i'm gonna do the same thing this week than i did in previous weeks and that's a fool's errand Right. You're not going to accomplish in a normal week when you have a typical, like a major holiday that you're expecting to do holiday type events. And, and so I, I, I believe you should be adjusting your schedule in work and personally when these things come up because you otherwise will fail it. Right. Something's something can't give. You can't do a bunch of strategic activities when you're like, you have to make sure you're serving your clients during those three days when there's two days of holiday during a week. Yeah. And you have to let something go, don't you? Cause you've got, less time that's right that's right yeah yeah so and and this has been lovely nick having you on i'm so glad it's so great to reconnect after this and and i'm so glad that people get to learn about your story and how you've been successful and how you're helping others to become successful what is a, a book that you've read in the past that you think would be a great book to recommend to others i think i would recommend 
based on our previous conversation about relationship with numbers, I'd reckon Moneyball by Michael Lewis. Mm-hmm. Have you come across this one? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So it's all about baseball. Yep. <laughs> but it's about so much more than baseball. And it's about the relationship between numbers and a business. And I just think it's a fascinating alternative viewpoint which gets people to reassess how they're measuring success and how they're measuring their businesses. So it's a really interesting read. And there's an audible version as well, obviously, which works well as well. Yeah, and it's also a great movie. <laughs> it's a good movie as well. If you want to just take the movie version, that's also a good option. But but the the, the book provides more depth right behind yeah. behind you know getting to the answers, and which is really you know which is interesting enough still helped the Oakland A's be competitive despite having a big salary you know a, a small salary cap all these years. Well, interesting. I was just listening the other day, and Oakland A's have got one analyst dealing with this. The New York Yankees have got 22 financial analysts working in the business. Wow. Which is just mind-blowing from the point of view of how that's... And there's a whole... I think it's called Sabermetrics now. Yes, yes, it is, yeah. There's a separate kind of niche of this which has been developed all from that, Yeah, which is just fascinating, I think. It is remarkable, for sure. Where can people find and learn more about you? LinkedIn's a great place. So I'm relatively active on LinkedIn, always up for a conversation and a connection on LinkedIn. And I post regularly some original thought content there. And then the other place would be my website, which is simply www.nickcramp.com. So those are the two places where you can find out more about me and what I do. And your book, is that available online? Where can people find your book? Available on Amazon and also available by my website if you want a personalized signed copy. Oh, lovely. Okay. And once again, that's Better Before Bigger, Rethinking Business Success, which shares as six components on helping you get from adolescence to maturity. Nick, it has been a pleasure reconnecting and having you on the Measure Success podcast. Really enjoyed the conversation, Carl. Thank you for the invite. Thank you so much. And to all of our guests, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all of your support. And please reach out. Please connect with Nick as well. And as we always say, wishing you the best, very best at measuring success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.